Hello and welcome to another edition of Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Newman, Associate Editor. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsor, Solving the Soil Health Puzzle. Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece of future profit, but it takes work and it's puzzling sometimes. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. So, whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local soil first dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at soilfirst.com. That's soil1st.com or call 800. 800- 356 Seed. This week, our journey takes us to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, where we catch up with Adam Lash, aka the Mad Scientist. He's a first generation farmer who's never afraid to try something new. In fact, his motto in life is, We have to try harder. As a young note tiller without a lot of established infrastructure, Adam's always digging into the science behind farming. He's always looking for ways to make one plus one equal three. So on this week's edition of Cover Crop Strategies, we'll share the intriguing results from Adam's experiments with interseeding, most notably green beans with corn silage, and we'll also discuss the key to using covers as a way to offset those skyrocketing input costs. Joining us on the podcast today is Adam Lash, a no-tiller from Lake Geneva. Adam, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, let's start with your or- origin story. How long have you been farming? How did you get into the game? I'm a first-generation farmer. Um, my wife and I started our farm when we got married in 2011. There was no farm for us to come back to, for me to come back to. Um, growing up through school, we did 4-H. We had animals. I was always interested in growing things. We kind of ran around with my grandparents. They had some land and a, and a farm. They grew nursery crops, um, bedding plants, stuff like that. So we were always involved in ag, but we never, I never got to be the farmer. I wanted to be a farmer. You know, driving tractors, growing crops, all that. So got out of school, high school in 2003, um, went to Short Course, which is a University of Wisconsin-Madison program, which is highly intensive on actual the business of ag, farming, high intensity, how do we do things? Got out of that um, and worked for some large grain operations. I thought that'd be kind of cool. I got to see the other side of that with all of the, you know, work and tractor driving and nonstop, huge. I, it basically it taught me that I never want to get that big. <laughs> then I was really involved. I really liked livestock. I love cattle. I love hogs. I love, I love raising livestock. And uh, I went to work for a, uh, actually my wife's uncle at the time. We were not dating and uh, he was feeding cattle. And I, I, before I took the job, I said, I want you to teach me how to farm. So that man has taught me everything I, I know. And we've taken that and kind of refined it. We started picking up a little bit of land here or there, lots of cattle along the way, tried to start to run some pastures. We actually got into the grazing side of it first. So forage has kind of been my focus my entire adult life. That led down to some crazy cover crop things. And we kind of expanded from there and and uh, just generally developed our whole philosophy on farming around that. Kind of, It's always a progression. It's a journey, not just a goal. So um, we bought our farm in 2011 and um, in 2015, uh, we had our, uh, welcomed our second son into the world, and my wife's like, I really want to stay home. You know, she, <laughs> she's a dairy farmer. My wife grew up on a 120-cow dairy, and uh, she's like, I think we should start milking cows. And it's like, wow, okay, well, we have the land base. Um, we don't have any dairy cows, but I can build a parlor, and that's what we did. So we started doing that. So dairy is our base um, operation. 
We have beef cattle. We've always had beef cattle. We use those to, as kind of the garbage cleaners to, to eat any feed that we uh, can't feed the dairy cows. And there's some nice synergies with that. Um, we've played around with pigs. We've, we've got out of that. Um, pigs are, pigs, pigs are tough when you're milking cows. And then, uh, yeah, we farm a few hundred acres and I enjoy growing things. I enjoy the seasons. It's a little stressful now looking out the rain when it's May, May 2nd and, uh, we're cloudy and wet and we just had another inch of rain yesterday. So yeah, it's been, it's been a rough stretch weather-wise. It has been an incredibly rough stretch. I'm having flashbacks to 2019 where it was like, oh, we're never going to get anything planted, you know. And last yeah. year was so dry. It was a complete and polar opposite. So um, you got to be flexible. You got to enjoy gotta enjoy it, the journey. Yeah. Well, you seem to always enjoy it. You have a great story. And and I've, I've heard you called the, uh, the mad scientist before. It seems yeah. like you're always experimenting with new things. Uh, tell us what you're doing right now with, with interseeding. I know you're getting into some some new things there. So, so I have always been, I have never been afraid to trot. Okay. So be, being a first generation farmer, capital has always been limited. We have had to buy or borrow everything. So we've had some help from neighbors on equipment. Um, I've been given some opportunities to rent land. I'm very thankful for that because we, without good, without good people around us, we never would have been able to do what we're doing because of that. We've always had the philosophy of, Hey, we have to try harder. I don't have the big, the big paid for farm right now that I can just sit back on my haunches and just grow corn and soybeans and do, you know, do everything conventionally. I have never been able to do that. So I've had to dig into the science behind farming. Like what makes plants grow? How do we capture sunlight? What do we do with all this? And as I went down that path, because I never had anybody telling me, well, that'll never work. <laughs> I've, I've been able to do a lot of innovative things. So yes, I've been called a mad scientist. I do a lot of very innovative mix. I've tried like just tons of different crops over the years that, that I'm like, well, why can't we grow them here? And then you figure out why they can't or why they really grew well. So interceding, we've been doing this since 2016, 2017. Tried broadcasting some things, clovers and grasses and, and brassicas had mixed results on that. We have very heavy clay soils. And once, once we started going no-till, our biological capital exploded. We started having much more earthworm populations, huge amounts of um, just life in the top couple inches of soil. So when we started broadcasting, that seed got eaten. We had to be very careful of that. I have a residue problem generally, but it's a lack of residue because we have, we're turning so much so fast. Um, we kind of joke that you don't want to go out out at late at night and fall in the field because the earthworms will eat you. So <laughs> we, have, we have some incredible pictures of that. Back to the, the intercropping. We went down the path. There's actually a YouTube video out there, if you search my name, um, of, of what we were doing in 2017, which was innovative. My thought process was we got corn silage. Why can't we try and add things to the corn silage so that when we harvest it, we can get closer to like the ideal TMR. So a little higher protein, a little more digestibility, shoot and ultimately in turn I'm hoping for a little higher milk production maybe a little less mineral um, required that we have to purchase so first generation farmer i'm trying to figure out how do we get that free lunch with other things in the field now that has led down a wholly different path than i originally thought we started interceding sunflowers cow peas field peas things like that i was my whole goal was to one plus one equals three i wanted to have, figure out okay we have the Warm season grasses are corn. That's the main portion. That's going to be where your most of your yield comes from. Now, what can I put with that that will play nice with the corn without 
without compromising the corn in any way that we can then um, harvest together. So we, we've, okay, we, corn's a warm season grass, we need some warm season legumes. Well, there comes the cowpeas, we played with mung beans, we played with the peas, I was thinking, oh, that's a spring crop, but maybe we'll see what it'll do. It did really well. That led it has led us down an entirely different path. So first couple of years we did it, we were kind of disappointed. We, we saw good results, but it, we just didn't get that pop that we were really hoping for. All right, well, let's recalibrate. So then we started doing different timings and different um, playing with different row widths. We've done some 60-inch corn. We've done some twin row stuff. We've played around with a lot of that. See, so that's where the mad scientist comes from. Um, so the last couple, uh, actually last spring, I was reading an article out of the UK from the UK Farmers Weekly, and they were talking about guys in Germany using green beans interceding with their corn silage. You know, they were talking specifically about um, like organic systems that are incredibly low in nitrogen. I'm thinking, huh, I can do that here. So last year we, we were able to finally track down some green bean seed. It's not as easy to come by as, as we used to, but we made some really good connections. We're actually working with a company called Pure Line Seeds um, based out of here in Wisconsin and Washington. And uh, my thought process on using the, the vegetable crops is one of the problems with the downsides with, with cow peas is when we put them in there, we don't get quite as much yield. We get no, almost no fruiting. There's no pods or anything. And the digestibility is just not as good as we were hoping. So now we had to go, okay, well, cow peas are out. I think the reason for that is we're just not warm enough. We don't get hot enough here. I'm right next to Lake Michigan. We're 35 miles away from Lake Michigan. So we have that big body of water. We just, we don't get enough heat for what those crops like. So back to the, the green beans, the pole beans, we're, we're going, okay, they're a vegetable crop. They've already been selected for fresh yield. Okay, fresh yield. Okay, well, they're a human food crop, so digestibility is not going to be an issue. Okay, also because they're a food crop, there's no anti-nutritionals. So you start playing with soybeans and you can get some enzymes that interact with, with protein synthesis and protein digestion in the cow. So it's like, all right, so we're, we're kind of going down this path. Well, okay, what about the cost? Cost is not as bad as I was expecting. Um, it's actually lower than um, a lot of the high-rate cow pee. One. So that was good. So I'm starting to put it together. Okay, now how do we physically do this? How do we time our rates? How do we get our uh, corn populations and hybrids that'll play nice with having interceding? Um, we played around with that last year. We're, we're doing different timings. What we've found is hybrids that are more flexy tend to be better. We don't want, we got to have enough sunlight to drive, um, we have to have enough sunlight to drive the photosynthesis necessary for the, for the beans to actually grow. Okay, I think a lot of guys fall flat with interseeding as they're planting hybrids too thick for the conditions, and then they never get the cover crop to grow. And and part of that is you know latitude and everything that goes into that. So back to the interseeding the cover crop. We last year was a, just the first year we put it in late just as an experiment. Saw enough things there that this year we're expanding it to about thirty acres, um, give or take. If I can track down a little bit more seed, we should be fine. Um, we're also going to play around with doing a uh, solid seeded crop that we will, we will mow and chop of just the beans. We want to see that. So, so what are we trying to accomplish with that crop? I want more lysine and more protein in our corn silage because with the price of inputs today, you know, nitrogen fertilizer is a buck 13 a pound for UAN. Um, ammonia is over 1,700 a ton. Um, the inputs are expensive. We can no longer use that crutch. The opportunity there is, especially on the cover crop side, is that 
we can get really creative with legume seeds that used to be really kind of cost prohibitive. You know, if nitrogen is 50 cents a pound and you're going to go spend 30 bucks an acre on a legume crop, it doesn't work or it just didn't didn't pencil as, as easily. Today, totally different world, which gets me really excited for the future because we can, I don't think nitrogen prices are going to come down anytime soon. So we can really get creative. Also on the feed side, soybean meal is expensive. So what, what can we do to grow our own proteins? And I think a lot of dairy guys, if you have livestock, cover cropping is a no, no, no brainer on this because we need to produce what we can off the farm. That it used to be the old days, you grew the basics, you bought the supplements and it just worked. Those days are gone. I really, I really believe that they're just gone, at least for the foreseeable future. And we need to become more self-sufficient and utilize what our land can produce. And you, the basis of that is soil, water, and sunlight. And we have to get to do a better job in it, agriculture of capturing that sunlight. Yeah. I mean, you answer a lot of the questions I have, but, you know, some people, it sounds like there's a hesitancy to use cover crops because they might think it's not financially viable, but you clearly have found ways to make it profitable. If you have livestock, you have to, you, there's no reason not to use cover crops. I mean, it's, it, it is feed that you can, you can figure out a cover crop that can fit into your rotation somewhere. You may have to be more flexible as far as timings or when you get your soybean crop or your late season corn silage planted or harvested. But if you have some flexibility in your livestock business, you're going to be a little flexible anyway, because we're not like the crop guys that, that have a much more specific thing. We're, we're, we're trying to feed uh, livestock all the time. And don't, I mean, I haven't even talked about the grazing side of it. If you have a contiguous piece, the grazing is another option that just, just opens the world of possibilities. So guys that are the ones that I see are the most nervous and the hardest to get into the, the cover crop. So we, we are a cover crop seed dealer. We, we work with a company called Prairie Creek Seed. So I get to see a lot of different operations and that has helped me fine tune my operation because it's great. I can get, we'll get on lots of different soil types. And one of the common themes that I've, I've noticed dealing with all of the customers that we have to deal with, and we still get phone calls all over the country is how do I make it work on my place? Okay. So, so a lot of it is that little bit of fear. I shouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it fear, but that trepidation of what if it doesn't work? What am I, you know, what am I trying to do? So what we've noticed is that guys that are a little bit hesitant, they may only dip their toe in part way. And that part way, what we say is if you're sitting on the fence, you all you end up with is a sore crotch. So you got to get off and figure out, okay, <laughs> If I'm gonna if I'm gonna step into this, take one small part of your farm, the worst part of your farm, step into it, and then let it go whole hog. You know, you got to be fully committed into doing the covers, and um, part of that is coming up with your goal. You have to figure out exactly what you're hoping to do. One of the nice things with with starting down that cover crop path is, especially if it's a crappy piece of dirt, you can see the results a lot faster than on a really good piece of ground. You know. So we, we have ways, it is a truly a mindset change. You have to, you have to really want to make it work. We'll get back to the podcast in just a second, but let's once again, thank our sponsor. Solving the soil health puzzle, Lacrosse Seed has you covered. Cover crops are an important piece to future profit, but it takes work and it's puzzling sometimes. Lacrosse Seed delivers quality, soil first cover crop products, plus training and tools to help you succeed. Whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1st.com. 
www.thepowerofseed.com or call 800-356-SEED. And now, back to the podcast. So when you first started with Cover Crops, do you remember your, your first journey with it? Which ones did you first start using? Or So so I started kind of like that, that same thing. I, I don't just, uh, the man scientist thing, I don't jump in part way. So first year out of the gate, we didn't just do cereal rye. We did cereal rye hairy vetch and a heavy rate of hairy vetch. So talk about a learning curve. And planting into that, I don't know if you know anything about hairy vetch, but hairy vetch is a vine. It's a, a very stringy, beautiful legume. Great nitrogen producer, excellent root structure, just a great cover crop. It can be kind of a challenge for some guys to deal with, especially in the spring and planting. So, but I'm looking at rye. I know it's a heavy nitrogen feeder and, and a good on our heavy clay soils. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to just do rye. Let's throw some hairy vetch in there and uh, plant it into that cover crop the next spring. And I, I, I came home. I was so mad. I told my wife, you married an idiot. I said, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you you married you married an idiot and she's like oh settle down settle down i said we're not even gonna have crop i said the, the neighbors are gonna think we're just stupid i mean why are we doing this because i was planting into a full green cover crop i didn't even kill it off ahead of time we planted full green into it um and it worked out really well wow. first year out of the gate the neighbor the old guy that i rent the ground from he still farms some he, uh, he kind of came up to me after, after we got done planting and I had sprayed off the cover and he, he kind of like put his arm around my shoulder and was like, are you sure you're okay? Like, do you think that's going to work? And it was, a, it was kind of crazy because it's like he knew we do a lot of no-till. The piece he rented me was um, uh, we got a lot of the neighbor's water. So he, he wanted the limited tillage on there so that we could keep some of the soil back. And he kind of you know, you could tell Adam, are you, are you sure you know what you're doing? Like, it was really, really fun. This guy's been farming for 50 years and uh, very conventional, though. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden the corn came out and we had a stand. Okay, that looks pretty good. And then uh, a little bit later, you know, through the summer, it's like, wow, that, that's really looking good. You know why? And then uh, towards the end, when we were chopping silage off the field, he's bringing his, his buddies over from up north that are, look at what this guy's doing. You know, look at this corn. He's driving around the field as we're chopping, you know, sh- showing some of his friends, you know, what they're doing, what this crazy guy's doing. And uh, that was some validation. It was, it was, that's what kept me motivated. I think part of that is it's nice to have a little bit of appreciation for what you're trying to do. Yeah, that had to give you a lot of confidence moving forward, too. Well, fa- It did. Yeah. And then can I tell you the flip side of that now? Yeah. So it, in 2021, we had kind of built this last year, we had kind of built on that. We're doing heavier covers, more um, thicker stands, more species, more, 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 more. And we're in a wet area. Like I said, heavy clay soil is wet. I'm building for wet because that's what we've been dealing with for the last five years, you know. And 2021 comes in and I'm like, huh. I wind up a neighbor's roller, uh, a good friend's roller. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to let my covers grow as long as possible. We're going to build those nutrients. We're taking cuttings and samples and wow, we're watching the fertilizer value go up in these, in these covers. It's getting dry. And Adam's like, ah, it'll rain. It always rains. We never not had it rain after planting. So I'm planting into big covers in May, rolling them down. I spray them off first, roll them down and there's no water. We're not getting any water. Why are we not getting any water? It always rains. Oh, there's rain in the forecast. We'll be fine. No way. Rain. I've never seen it not rain for six weeks after we planted. Ordinarily, I wouldn't worry because, you know, with, with the building of soil health, we've had no troubles. We've been able to really uh, 
capture a lot of the benefit, you know, the friability, the, 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 just it plants nice and everything just holds you up and you get all those benefits. It's not raining. It's not raining. My big cover is taking a lot of water. I mean, I'm pulling 7,200 pounds of dry matter off this. I've used a lot of water already. Oh crap. So I started getting nervous about the first week of June. I'm looking out there and, uh, I think what we had happened is we used up so much moisture in that top couple, uh, actually the top profile of the water, the neighbors that actually did a little bit of tillage, I think sealed off the capillary action. We had all this big straw out there that acted like a straw and we were getting 90 degree days with lots of wind and we just desiccated the, the, the top three inches of soil. We right where those little corn seedlings were coming. And I had to relearn a lot of what I thought I knew about thatch. We had, we had probably a three inch mat of thatch and we got a two tenth rain and I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> it didn't even get to the soil surface. It, it got locked up in that, in that, uh, in that thatch. So one of the things I would caution everybody is you're going to have to be flexible because I thought I knew it all as far as planting into big covers. And then mother nature said, um, I got another lesson to teach you. And, <laughs> and so, so now we've had to be much more flexible. And the, the old saying in farming is you're always farming for last year because that's what we know. And now the beauty of the cover crops is we, we, we can be flexible, but you, you have to never sit on your laurels because you, you are going to have to relearn everything every so often. And uh, flexibility is key. Mental flexibility is key because it was it, last year was more stressful than 2019. Wow. 2019, we had 60 inches of rain when we normally have about 35 or 38. We had double the amount of rain. And last year was one of the driest, drier than even 2012. So it was like, wow, one extreme to the other. Talk about a roller coaster ride. It is. Well, it is. Talking about your forage mix, uh, what covers do you use and, and how do you measure success with that system? So, all right. So my whole cover cropping philosophy is certain things, plants grow better together and certain plants grow better at certain times of the year. So we're always watching the weather, trying to figure out, okay, what kind of season are we having? Like this year, it's cold and wet. Right now it's cold. I don't want to have a warm season cover in the ground right now, which I mean, we're not going to anyway, because it's not the end of June and we don't have enough soil temp to do it. So, so looking at my cover crop philosophy, it's what can I grow for the conditions we have? where we're expected to have right now. So, so one of the things that we just did last week is we planted peas and barley on some drier type land that we have uh, about 10 or 11 miles from home. Why did I plant peas and barley when corn is seven, seven bucks off the combine next fall? Because this piece of ground is not that good. I've got quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of um, thatch left over from last year. It was soybean crop last year. So we didn't use all of our, our uh, nutrients that we had there. And looking at the conditions we have, peas and barley in the ground today are growing. We put corn or we have to wait for corn to grow, it, it's going to be weeks. So at this point, I want to capture whatever sunlight is there, um, is going to be hitting that, that ground. That'll give me some um, a chance to stretch our rotation. That's another important part of cover cropping that I think gets uh, overlooked a lot of times is we're introducing species that can help break up our cover crop cycles, but we need to stretch out that rotation too. So we're trying to get different crops into the mix. So specific cover crops, I'm going to drop a cover crop that I need for forage. What are my intended goals for it? When is it going to be growing? What kind of land is it going to be growing on? And uh, what other inputs do we need to make that success. So when I, when I'm looking for building a cover crop, what am I trying to do with it? Am I going to use it to feed heifers that need lower 
nutrients and I just want raw tonnage? Are we looking at trying to build super digestible fiber? Because in a livestock operation, generally highly digestible fiber, so dairy quality fiber, highly digestible, high sugar, that is the most expensive forage or feed stuff you can come up with. Um, so we want to produce as much of that on the farm as we can. So, um, and then is it going to be a summer cover or say later in the, into the fall and where does it fit into our rotation? So um, right now we're, we're looking at some, um, doing some warm season mixes in another couple weeks. Right now we're, we're focusing on the cool seasons that we could take off. After that, we'll switch to the warm seasons, which we're talking about uh, for warm seasons. I'm trying to target what's the, what's the most efficient growth we can get for the conditions. So um, generally, you know, that's, that's based on heat and light. So C4s would be the sorghum, sorghum sedans, pro millets, stuff like that, even corns um, into the summer. Those are your most, so C4 grasses are your most efficient. We're going to throw the, throw the legumes with it, the cowpeas and such, the mung beans, and try and, and build uh, um, raw tonnage comes from that. In the fall, my favorite, my favorite fall cover crop is after wheat comes off. Um, if you can put in a small grain, so spring peas or small like small grains like spring trit, spring wheat, spring oats, spring barley, um, spring peas, maybe throw some lentils and then some of your brassica crops in there. We are finding that we are pulling the most tons of digestible forage off in the fall, which is counterintuitive because you think, oh man, spring, you know, we got our corn silage as a base, but we need to add something to it. So we've got our, our alfalfas and our hay crops that we use for, for a little diversity in the system, a little trying to produce some high protein. But as far as that digestible forage coming off after wheat, that is a huge opportunities for dairies. Um, you let that frost hit it once, those plants mobilize those sugars. Um, we're pulling two and a half ton of dry matter in 60 days off of a, basically a wasted, uh, a, an opportunity crop that, that you know, may cost you 40, 50 bucks an acre to put in for seed and maybe another 50 for nitrogen. but the forage coming off of there is so digestible fresh cows just do incredibly well on it so that's that's kind of what we're targeting you know? you've got you've got a lot you've got a lot in the mix there do you have to be careful do. do you have to be careful with chemicals in terms of an herbicide program or we very much do so i yeah. don't use a lot of the same chemicals a lot of our our uh, normal cropping neighbors do they're going with the authorities and and um heavy high use of uh um residuals we've had to back that off because a lot of those aren't labeled for forage crops and or the timings are such you know we're always trying to seed down some alfalfa every year kind of got away from that for a while um we're going back to it um we have to be very cognizant of what the what we're selling milk we're selling a food product we we need to be very cognizant of what we're using i like outlook quite a bit um, that's a grass herbicide and, and it's labeled for a lot of the vegetable type crops actually so we'll use some sharpen we'll use some some uh, um, sharpen is ahead of the corn silage in Outlook, so Verdict, um, which is the combo product of that. In the fall, you know, say, say we have to burn down a wheat crop or, or whatever, we'll use some 2,4-D. We do use some Roundup because I just haven't found anything better. Um, some guys have talked about using Paraquat, but I'm not going to use anything with a skull and crossbones on it myself. Um, try to, the nice thing with covers is because we're not doing a lot of the full width tillage, we don't have to have the super high rates to kill everything because we're not turning up those seeds. So the residuals I'm, I'm a little less worried about. We do put them out there. We have tried to get them really low and that has kind of bit us, you know, we were going down to quite, quite low rates, um, kind of 
found that middle of the road tends to be the best to stay away from the extremes, kind of more middle of the road. Well, your t-shirt says lash solutions. And I know you, you kind of touched on this earlier, but what, what are some solutions that you're finding to offset the in, uh, input prices that just seem to be skyrocketing these days? So that the, their <laughs> lash solutions, lash livestock and land solutions. So that, that's what we've had to come up with our entire time. Is, well, how are we going to come up with this uh, a solution to this problem? That's why we named it that. Because it seemed like we were having to come up with a lot of weird solutions. The beauty right now going forward, I see, is nitrogen prices, fertilizer prices are not going to come down for quite a while. So I, I follow up with a lot of media. I'm on Twitter, um, Adam Lash, at Adam Lash One, if you wanted to follow me there. We, we follow a lot of the different, uh, looking ahead on a lot of things. We have to. I'm a first-generation farmer. We got we to try and you know, stay ahead of the curve here. We can't, we can't sit idle. So I see going forward, producing our own nitrogen. I think the guys that are using rye ahead of corn, I would, I'm going to start rethinking that. I think we got other tool, uh, covers in the toolbox that we can use. Hairy vetch, winter peas. We've had luck with winter peas, but you got to get them planted deep. Um, I think you got to stay flexible on your timings. Um, you know, if you don't get a cover on a field in the fall, let's look at ways we can get a clover or something on it in the spring. You know, uh, one new cover crop we're going to play around with is some chickling vetch. I've heard mixed results on it. Um, seed cost is kind of high, but we're, we're playing with it. So I think you have to have some, some flexibility. And I realize if you're a 4,000 acre crop farmer, you're limited on time. I get that. But I think there's going to be huge opportunities for producing your own, own nitrogen, you know, and, uh, even phosphorus and potassium, um, potash, because last year what we learned with the cover, we did some strategic fertilization um, in, in early April last year. It was dry, but it was still cold. We hadn't planted any crop. When those soils are so cold, there is very little biological nitrogen fixation happening. So we went out and we, we had a, a ryegrass cover crop field and uh, we did, we put down a hundred units of N and a little bit of uh, gypsum, calcium sulfate. And a um, hundred pounds and on a spring crop is a lot. We were looking for, well, maybe we can take it for forage. We did a strip trial with, between that and no, and the same mix, but no nitrogen. When we went to cut it in mid-April or mid-May, we did some clippings and we did some analysis. The dry matter difference was we had 7,200 pounds of dry matter. Um, so three and a half ton on the stuff we strategically fertilized. The stuff that we didn't fertilize next to it, we had 1,300 pounds per meter. So quite a big difference. Then when we sent those samples in, the um, piece with the fertilizer, we had it done and did all the uh, calculations. It had 238 pounds of nitrogen in that cover crop. It had 209 pounds of potash equivalent. It had uh, 15 pounds of phosphorus, 70 pounds of calcium. It also had 1,000 pounds of sugar per acre. So we can start, we can feed that crop. So one of this is one of the learning curves. I'm thinking when I planted the corn in that field, I just laid it down. I'm thinking I have everything here right now to produce a 250 bushel corn crop, piece of cake, as long as I get the water. So that was the big learning curve. But guys, I think if we can do some strategic fertilization, especially trying to capture that sunlight, let's grow the cover crop you know, to, to produce the, the biomass, we can, we can use a lot of the, the, these covers to sequester and bring up our, and make more available the fertilizer that's in our ground. And I think that's going to be absolutely critical, you know, because I don't know how long these good prices on crops are going to last, 
but I know they're not going to last. Some point they're going to change, and we're going to have to be much more creative going forward. We have opportunity now. Let's build that factory. Let's build that biological capital, which is something I'd like to touch on too. Let's build that biological capital, that bank account that we can draw on when times go the other way. Gotcha. Well, Adam, we're sitting here on a, a Monday morning. I'm sure you have a busy week ahead. Uh, before we let you go back to your laboratory, <laughs> any, anything else you want to add or touch on? I would just tell guys, figure out what you're trying to accomplish and then then start thinking about it. You have to be all in on this. I mean, it, it's, it's very easy right now to just, um, prices are good. If you have everything bought and you're kind of in your system, it's really easy to just take the easy win. I think the guys that are going to get really far ahead in the next few years are going to be the ones that are super flexible and are willing to experiment because with when with ultimate volatility comes ultimate opportunity and we're there. We are, I mean, the, the world right now is an absolute just volatile mess. And I think those guys that can be and girls that can be very flexible going forward are going to own it. Well, if someone's listening to this and they want to get in touch with you and kind of pick your brain a little bit, how can they get a hold of you? Just check you out on Twitter or what? Our Twitter is one. It's at Adam Lash one. Another way is uh, you can email us at Lash Solutions, L-A-S-C-H-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S at gmail.com and uh, track us down that way. Um, Send us an email and uh, I I would love to be able to get some more uh, green beans and and some dairy farmers hands um especially this year just to try and learn some more information going forward because i think i think uh i think this is going to be a wonderful opportunity going forward thanks again to adam lash for joining us on this week's edition of cover crop strategies and once again let's thank our sponsor solving the soil health puzzle the cross seed has you covered cover crops are an important piece to future profit but it takes work and is puzzling at times lacrosse seed delivers quality soil first cover crop products plus training and tools to help you succeed. So whether you're looking to grow your cover crop seed business, get product tips, or find a local Soil First dealer, Lacrosse Seed is ready to help. Learn more at SoilFirst.com. That's Soil1ST.com. Or call 800-356-SEED. Thanks for listening, and remember, for all things cover crops, head to CoverCropStrategies.com.